how is it possible that God created a, a being who would rebel? And we go right back to, you know, this whole category of freedom. Um, without freedom, there is no love. Uh, there's no possibility of love when it's constrained by mere obligation or fear. So I, I think in some sense, what we are wrestling with uh, at almost every level is, what does freedom give us? And what does freedom call forth from us with regard to a, a sense of response ability? Welcome back to the Gary Wilkes Podcast. If you were with us the last episode, we had Dr. Dan Allender with us, and we have him again here with us this week. And if you noticed, uh, not quite as an attractive person to my right as was here last week, uh, but a very handsome nonetheless and very uh, godly and loving man, Dr. Mark Mayfield, who uh, co-hosts with us on many occasions. Uh, and Dr. Allender, thanks for coming back with us again this week. My delight. And Mark, as a handsome man, you're great, but Kelly is, you know, I'm. I'm not going to compare it to you. I. I, I can't. No, nothing. Nothing compares. Right. Nothing yeah. compares. Yeah. Hey, uh, you want to kick things off? Yeah. What's yeah. What questions on your mind to start things? Well, I, I've been doing a lot of research in the field of loneliness, in the field of um, just emotion. You know, th this this new book that I'm working on is called, called "Finding the Beauty in Pain." And you, I just, you know, I love your. As you were talking about last episode, just your story, uh, the component of story and the component of story in, in trauma and in, you know, and, and the releasing of shame. Uh, I guess my question is, why do you think as a society our, our kind of our knee-jerk reaction is to avoid pain? Mm. Well, it, it, in some sense, uh, it's a God-given gift uh, because we weren't meant to suffer anything east of Eden. Uh, and so I think that beginning point is to say that our, our reflex uh, is so built within us to not touch something hot, uh, to not want to, in a sense, bleed. But uh, the, the reality is, uh, though we were never meant to know death, we were never meant to know suffering. The reality of living east of Eden is that that's a very elemental part. So we're almost always now in the middle of this interior war of, I was not meant to die. I was not meant to have you die. Yet death is inevitable. How will I now engage reality that I was not meant for? Uh, and so I think that opens the door to be able to be much kinder to ourselves, given that we were not meant to know pain, yet also opens the door that we have to bear a new level of courage to engage our pain in ways that are not mere flight or fight or freeze or the typical fourth word fawn. So we have trauma responses. And those trauma responses are built into us, given a fallen world, yet there is a deep, deep sense in which they don't inevitably lead to life. They may lead to survival, but never will lead ultimately to us flourishing in the way that we were meant to. We weren't meant, I agree with you 100%, we weren't meant to live with death and this trauma and yet, for some strange reason, maybe you could address this for me because uh, it's always on the back of my mind. You know, there was the snake in the garden. You know, so we were meant to live in the garden, and we weren't meant to live as you just said. But there's, but God 
you know, allowed or put whatever the theology you want to have in the, in the garden. Uh, I'm not sure I'm crafting a very good question out of this, but uh, do you know what I'm saying? Is why, why would there be a snake in the garden? And still today, it seems like there's always a snake in our garden. You know, you get married and it's beautiful. And then all of a sudden you have this horrible fight. Uh, you have a child and it's the most precious thing in the world. And all of a sudden you find the doctor says the child has a disease. It's like there's always Eden and then there's always the snake. And uh, I guess I'm curious what God's up to. I mean, that's kind of a weird question, probably. Oh, I love that question because I don't know. Uh, you know, we we do know we, we do know that the rebellion of a third of the angelic host uh, with the most beautiful angel of all, whom we refer to as Satan, uh, that occurred before creation. So the fact is there's something about the nature of the rebellion that uh, infiltrates even the reality of Eden. So, I mean, some theologians, uh, particularly in the third and fourth century, argued without real biblical base, but it's also uh, it's intriguing that indeed the fall of Satan occurred because God chose to create Adam and Eve in his image. And no other creature, uh, including the angelic host, you know, Gabriel is not made in the image of God. No one is made in the image of God, but humanity. So uh, that, shall we say, that privilege and honor apparently had some deep disturbance uh, within a, a portion of the angelic host. But then to step your question back, how is it possible that God created a, a being who would rebel. And we go right back to, you know, this whole category of freedom. Um, without freedom, there is no love. Uh, there's no possibility of love when it's constrained by mere obligation or fear. So I, I think in some sense, what we are wrestling with uh, at almost every level is, what does freedom give us? And what does freedom call forth from us with regard to a, a sense of responsibility? And those questions, as sweet and deep as they are, you're looking pretty much to the wrong dude to do much more than what I've said so far. Well, it's interesting because I think, you know, and I'm sure you've in your, your years of working with people have seen that freedom creates such anxiety because, you know, there's there's always going to be a consequence of our choice in the midst of that freedom. Uh, you know, how, you know, as you're working with, and I'm thinking just about the pastors that we're, that we're you know, speaking to and, and that kind of stuff. How do we help them uh, steward that freedom well in their congregations and those that are, you know, um, struggling with mental health? You know, I mean, I, I always, you know, I come back to that we're created in the image of the triune God, so we're mind, body, and spirit. And I think a lot of times we ig ignore, maybe it's a strong word, but we ignore the emotional component of that. And and I don't think we steward that freedom very well. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I think this is a conversation that we don't often have, and especially in the church. I just I think it's such an important question because I, my experience and the look at my own life here is, you know, if you take my freedom away, I'll kill you. Um, that's uh, and you, you see that, let's just say, in a lot of the American ethic from, shall we say, the beginning of our national story. 
you know, the flag, uh, you know, tread on me, don't tread on me. So the issue of freedom from is where I think most people stop. Don't put any imposition on my freedom. That's freedom from, but it's only one side of the coin. The next and most important question is freedom for. Freedom for what? And this is where I don't think we do well. And that is we have freedom to care for the poor. We have freedom to care for the weak. We have freedom to care for those who have immunological issues. And even if it's one person out of a thousand, Jesus goes after the one sheep. And so the, I have the freedom not to wear a mask. Well, good for you, sucker. Uh, but here's the issue. Do you have the freedom for the one person in your church who's immunosuppressed? And therefore, will the 99 wear masks for the one person who could be deeply affected uh, by your freedom from? So I, I don't think we do well with this, uh, other than to say, it's right back to our story. Where did you have freedom, shall we say, deprived uh, in a way that did not honor your own life and uniqueness? That's a lack of honor. And for most of us, if we look at our own childhoods, the reality is what we were meant for is delight and honor. Delight not for what we do, for just being an honor for who we're becoming, even in the midst of our failures. So if one honestly looks at your life, your own life, and to say, what level of delight did you know growing up? Uh, what level of honor were you given? Those questions are part of our story that frame us as to why we're so resistant to, in some sense, living for and only uh, from the burden of living from. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're free to come out of some things that never meant to be long in your life, but you're free to go into the things that God has for you, your giftedness, your glory, your calling, your, you know, the, the honor of God. And you're talking here about, you know, this, this, these things that are missing the, the, you know, the honor and the freedom. Uh, but in your latest book, you know, you, you kind of talk about some of the things that sort of rob us of that, that honor and freedom of, of being, uh, you know, being the orphan of, of being, uh, can you, can you speak to that a little bit? What's in your new book? Yeah. Well, I, trauma is, as we've been talking about is one of those inevitabilities. And I don't care if you suffered minor traumas, small T traumas or large T, they still have an effect. And if we can just start with that, look, nobody escapes living in a fallen world. And I just put words about parents. I don't care if you had the best parents literally on the earth they're still sinners, which means they struggled and struggle with lust and anger or adultery and murder. So if you take the Bible seriously, then nobody escapes the reality of doing harm and being harmed. Now, some suffer even more just atrocious consequences, physical abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse. And when those capital T traumas cut into our dignity, into our honor and sense of delight, uh, there are deep consequences. So 
we we speak about the reality of being an orphan, meaning at some level, you have been abandoned. Uh, you have your parents were too busy to truly engage in a way in which you did not have a sense of being protected and well provided. Oh, you might have had all the food and clothing you needed, but your deepest heart's desire for delight and honor were not just missed, but deeply abandoned. That leaves us as an orphan committed to only providing for ourselves what we can attain by ourselves. So what happens with an orphan is they give up desire. They give up dreaming. Why? It's too dangerous. And so a lot of the orphans I know are, are very good-hearted, obedient, do what's right. But in one sense, there's just this absence of, 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 of sweet desire, of openness and engagement much more controlling. Well, we also speak uh, about the person who's a stranger, and that is the person who didn't quite fit, uh, who wasn't in the in crowd, who uh, either because of uh, their awkwardness or strangeness or the inability to, to sort of do what the crowd around you thought was cool, um, you, you felt alienated. Uh, and that's w what we would name as the person who feels a lot of hurt and resentment, uh, who holds a grudge. And in some ways, in that stranger quality, wants inside, but also uh, says, I don't care. So there's a certain degree of envy and indifference that often shows up in that that presence. Uh, and we spoke a little bit about the widow before, and that's where death has creased your life, not just physical death, but a death of dreams, a death of desire, where you have come to say, I loved once and I will never risk again. And that's the war with shame. But what we try to say is, look, healing opens the door to calling. And as you engage that orphan part of your heart, the orphan becomes the storyteller or what we view as the priest, the one who's able to bring something of the story of God into our lives. So you having been abandoned actually creates the need for the story that connects you to the beloved. And so the more we know our beloved who has written our lives, the more we are captured to be priestly in the presence of others. And hopefully you can see the next movement pretty quickly, and that is the stranger is often the prophet. Um, the redeemed stranger opens the door to inviting people to desire, but also to the reality of injustice, to the reality that things are not the way they're meant to be. And uh, hardest to get a hold of, at least conceptually for people, is that when you begin to allow your heart to love again, you begin to lead others in a way that a king or queen. So what we argue is that Jesus is the perfect priest, prophet, king, and we're to be like Jesus. So our wounds actually open the door to us leading into being priestly prophetic and kingly in a way that reveals something about the glory of Jesus.
That, that is so profound. It and is. it just it struck me as you were talking that as a society, we must understand and realize that we're all on the same playing field. And, you know, and we all like, you know, the, 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 the comment that you said that we all have not been, or not, none of us are able to escape a fallen world. Like, I wish that we would take that and just, and just sit with that for a minute and recognize that I am no different than you and you are no different than me. Our stories are different, but you know, our, our struggles and our wounds are, are very much the same. And what that would do to our national narrative, our world narrative, our church narrative, I mean, good, it gives me the chills to think that it's something so simple and so profound is so hard to implement. Well, and but you you put it so well, Mark, before, and that is why 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 do we want to escape? Why do we actually believe that we can create heaven? So the reality is I'm not meant for pain. On the other hand, have we not all found that somehow in the midst of some of our deepest struggles, the sweetness of our relationship with Jesus is somehow deeper and more fragrant than when we're doing so-called well? Look, I want to do well and have a fabulous relationship with Jesus. It just doesn't seem to work out that <laughs> doesn't seem to work out that way in a lot of my own experience. So I, I'm looking. If I have a headache, I'm going to take aspirin. Uh, if I'm in the middle of a lot of conflict, I'm going to do what I think will help resolve it. Nonetheless, will I let my suffering actually open the door to what needs to be healed within me? And in that healing process, because it's not a once and done. In that healing process, will I let Jesus bring me into what what a priest offers, which is the power of story, and what a prophet offers, and that is the exposure of desire and also injustice, and what a king or queen brings, and that is a sense of order for flourishing to occur in the kingdom. So if we begin to use these categories that are just core archetypes, I mean, you you don't have anything clearer in the scripture than orphan, stranger, widow, and nothing clearer in terms of revealing what it means to be like Jesus than a priest, a prophet, and a king. Those categories uh, help us reorient our lives uh, to what's really most important. And that, that brings you to the, the promise of scripture. You know, he turns ashes into beauty. He doesn't just sweep away the ashes, so you're not just getting rid of the the orphan spirit, or you're not just getting rid of uh, the, you know, the 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 death or those other things you're talking about. But you're coming into something, and that's 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 why our faith is so exciting because it's you know it's not just uh, you know standing up in an AA meeting and saying you know hi I'm Gary and I'm an alcoholic and I've been so for 25 years, but but you're saying something new about yourself that only the gospel can afford. That other other programs can help you get out of certain things of your history and past or your wounds, but nothing can bring you into this kind of stuff you're talking about. That's why I love your book, man. That's a, it's incredible. Oh, thank you. I mean, again, what you're, what you're naming is, look, I, I, I am a mess and I am a beautiful mess. And so the reality that we, we can truly hold the notion that we're broken folks, uh, and until the day in which I stand before Jesus and become as he is, I'm, I'm, I'm broken. And the, the longer I live, 
the clearer it becomes. But that does not change the fact that he has made me beautiful like him. And we're called to be in some sense complex people who can hold individually, corporately, nationally, the intersection of brokenness and beauty. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. We've got to let you go because you have uh, some other obligations, I know. But uh, we just want the people that listen to us to to know more about you. And they can do that through through your ministry, your website. Uh, we'll have all that in the show notes. And uh, we'll list all the all your books because the more – I think the more they, they read and learn what – and glean from what you've really diligently you know plowed up in your own heart and in your own – way of helping other people can can help them. So th thank you, Dr. Allen. We're so honored to get to know you a little bit better here. Well, privileged to be with you both. And again, what an honor that uh, our, our different stories yet linked together uh, in something of the river of God. <laughs> yeah, no, you got to go, man. Thank you for the time. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, stay, we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ.